can you go back to mom and dad? You lost a shoe. I see that. (laughs) I know there's a little bit of sin represented there, but the evil giggle of a child is fantastic. Even in it, even if it's a rebel, unless it's mine, and then it's not. Yes, that's true. Unless it's mine, then it's not. But I got, I got laughed at last week, so I get to laugh this week. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22 and Galatians 3. The last few weeks, we have been looking, as we've prepared for Christmas, we have been looking at Why do we celebrate Christmas? What is it about this baby in a manger that 2,000 years later we are still singing songs and we are giving gifts and we are decorating our houses and we are going out of our way to celebrate this time of year? What is it about this baby that has changed all of human history, has changed our calendar, that we would spend so much time focusing on this time of year? Last week, we looked at, or two weeks ago, we looked at He is the new beginning. The reason we celebrate is because Jesus enters into the world as a sort of second Adam to usher in a new season of God's creation that one day that there will be a new earth and new heavens and everything will be set in order as it was meant to be from the beginning. Last week, we looked at, that, at the fact that He is the promised King. That throughout the Old Testament, God points forward to a time when there will be a king who comes whose reign will be forever. And that nothing fulfilled that. Scripture, when we look through Scripture, nothing was fulfilled there. The, The human kings of Israel could not fulfill that promise. But Jesus comes and perfectly fulfills it. He is all powerful. He is all wise. He is the humble servant who lays down his life for his subjects. He is the victor who reigns over his enemies' death and sin. He is the king who was promised. And one day he will return. And we look forward to that as well when we celebrate Christmas. This morning we look to Scripture to see that he is the promised blessing to all. And so this morning, if you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 22, and then we're going to flip to Galatians, 20, Galatians 3, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Turning now to Galatians chapter 3. Reading the last two verses of that passage, starting in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. 
And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible grace to us. That though we have rebelled against you, that you have desired to show us mercy instead of consequence. Lord, that you have shown us patience when we have ran away from you time and time again. That you have shown us great love even when we have declared ourselves your enemies. Lord, that you have called us close, that we may have a relationship with you, that we may have life. Father, we come to you this morning in the season of Christmas remembering who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you have promised to do. And Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise. Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us of your blessing. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It is one thing to remember God's blessing. And certainly we can do that in a number of ways. You can look around and, and see the sun. You can understand the food that's on your table and your refrigerator, the home that you live in, the family that you have. You can begin to look around your life and begin to understand all of these little ways that God has provided for you. Whether you believe in Him or not, there are things in your life that are blessing. And we would look at those things and we can admire them, we can be thankful for them, we can even praise Him for them for these blessings, these little things in our life that God has provided. But when we begin to understand the situation that we find ourselves in, when we begin to understand who we are and how Scripture portrays us in, in truth, then the blessing begins to take on a whole new light. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We looked at this a few weeks ago. We're going to look at it again. Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of your Bible. Something special or something tragic happens. It's special in a way, but not in a good way. But something tragic happens. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you have the creation of earth, and it is highlighted by the creation of Adam and Eve, the first human and the first woman, the first man, first woman, and God puts them in the Garden of Eden and he gives them a purpose, he gives them a task that they would tend to that garden, that they would multiply, that they would have kids, that those kids would fill the earth and they would be the caretakers of all of creation. They had a wonderful relationship with God, a personal relationship with him, to the point where when they heard him move through the garden, they recognized the sound of it. It's a, a wonderful thing. And yet what we see in chapter 3 is something tragic. In chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve decide that they no longer, that that relationship, that purpose was no longer enough for them. That they wanted more. And so they ate of the fruit of the tree that God had told them not to. And in doing so, they made themselves guilty of breaking the law of God. Now, at this time, the law did not consist of much. It consisted, don't eat of that tree. 
And yet when they did that, they became instantly guilty before him. And now, instead of standing before God in a relationship of friendship, in a relationship that was full of of all good things, now they stood before God in an entirely different light. Now they stood before a holy and righteous God, guilty and deserving consequence. That's a drastic change in relationship. And so God gives them that consequence. Look with me in Genesis chapter 3. First, he speaks, we're going to skip over what he says to the snake, the tempter. We're going to go straight to what he says to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So we begin to see the consequences. We begin to see the consequences of Adam and Eve's decision in rebelling against God. And all of this starts with a curse. First, we see Adam's decision brought this curse. And the first part of the curse is pain. We see it with Eve that God now tells her that the pain of childbirth will be magnified. Now, when we think of childbirth, when we think of that experience, it is a mixed emotion. It's a mixed memory, right? There's part of that memory that is fantastic and wonderful of a new life coming into this world, and it's a beautiful thing, and that was what it was always intended to be. But there's another part of that, that when the memory of childbirth is brought up, that there is pain remembered, and not just a little Like everything in a person's life is measured against the pain of childbirth. It's like you hear people get hurt and it's like, well, it's not as bad as childbirth or it's worse than childbirth. Like that's a measuring stick somehow. And if a guy gets hurt, eyes get rolled. It's like you haven't been through childbirth. Like shut up. Okay, everything becomes a measuring stick. But that was not the way it was intended to be. That wasn't the reason. That's part of the curse. It was intended to be a celebration of life. It was intended to be a celebration of wonderful things, and in many ways it still is, but there's this taint to it now. It's not just Eve. We see the cursing of the ground. In, verse, in chapter 3, verse 17, he tells Adam, In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, instead of being able to work and, and for that to be a good thing, now we see that Adam will receive pain as well. We see this experience throughout creation, right? We see it in drought. We see it in famine. We see it in disease. We see it in natural disasters. Things that were never meant to be, and yet because of the cursing of the ground and because of the pain brought forth because of that curse are now part of our existence. So we see pain. We see frustration. You notice the second part of what the Lord tells to Eve, you shall desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, 
but he shall rule over you. Marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It should be the best relationship that we have in all of this earth. And in many ways, it is. Many wonderful marriages that I see represented in this room. And yet, even the best of marriages comes with frustration. Someone put the spoon in the wrong slot. Someone darkened the toast more than they should. Some of you are looking at each other, and it's cracking me up. Okay? Or much larger things. Even the best of relationships experience frustration. They experience jealousy. They experience envy. But that was not the way it was meant to be. We see with Adam the frustration of work. Work was a blessed thing. It was a good thing. And then with the curse of rebelling against God comes not only the frustration of relationships, but the frustration of our work. No longer when we plant does it produce everything we want it to. No longer is it 100% that you put into it, it abounds and multiplies by untold numbers. No longer is that the way it works. Now there are thorns and thistles. Now there are bad crops and blight. Now there is frustration in the work. And whether you plant crops or whether you do something else, you know this frustration. There's pain, there's frustration in the curse, and there is death. At the end of chapter, towards the end of chapter 3 of what we read this morning, it says, Till you return to the ground, for you were taken out, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Pain, frustration, and death. Not just death of these physical bodies. Surely they will all fail us. That is part of the curse. Unless we are here when the Lord returns, all of us will experience that. But also, as we have talked about before, the death that is the separation of the soul from God. And that is truly horrific. When the soul is separated completely from God, completely from all blessing and all grace, that is a horrific existence indeed. This is the curse that Adam's decision brought upon us all, but we have all continued in it. Every single one of us, whether you have said it with your lips or you have done it with your actions, have looked at God and said, I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't love you. I can do this on my own. I can live my own way, and I will be just fine. I'll be just fine. And in doing so, we have declared ourselves enemy of God, because you either serve God the King, or you are a traitor to God the King. And when we do, when we do that, when we said, I can do it myself, I don't need you, I don't want you, we declare ourselves traitors, and in doing so, we bring the curse upon ourselves as well. I share all of this to share this. The fact that we have rebelled against God, the fact that we have turned our backs on Him multiple times, makes it even more remarkable that He chooses to bless us. 
It makes it even more remarkable that he has grace. I don't know about you, but my first instinct when somebody looks at me and says, I don't care about you, I don't want you in my life, I want nothing to do with you, my first instinct when somebody goes out of their way to hurt me or to offend me or just to say even mean things about me is not to say, I love you, I want to have a relationship with you, come back. That's not my first reaction. My first reaction is to say, see ya. But that's not God's reaction. The fact that we are under the curse, the fact that we have rebelled, makes it even, highlights it even more how much He loves us, how much He has blessed us. It's interesting. You look at the end of that passage that we read in chapter 3 of Genesis, and it says this And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They had rebelled against him. They had walked away from him. They have said, I don't want, they, they, they've done everything in their power to do opposite of what he has asked. They're now under curse of pain and frustration and death. And God's response after all of that is to take another animal for it to die in their place so that they could be covered. So that their shame and their guilt would not remain. It's to show them kindness and grace. That desire to bless shows up throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, as we read from Genesis on, what we see is a picture of God's desire to bless people. Going back to Genesis chapter 22, we see a part of this. In Genesis chapter 22, we have Abraham. Now Abraham, Abraham was called by God to follow him. And when that happened, God made him a series of promises. And we see in chapter 22 that be highlighted. God again renews the promise of him. It kind of happens in an interesting way. Abraham has been following God and God has promised him descendants. He has promised him uh, nations would come through him. And all of it would happen through Isaac, his son, his one, his true son, as the scripture names him. Now, there was another son named Ishmael who was not from his wife. That's another story for another day. But through Isaac were all the promises to come. And yet God tests, God tests Abraham's faith. This is hard for us to wrap our brains around, and we're not going to spend a ton of time this morning. But there are times when God tests our faith, not that, he may, he may, that we may prove it to him, but that we may prove it to ourselves, the kind of faith that we have. And so he calls, he calls Abraham to do an unusual thing. He calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And just before Abraham's hand comes down, an angel of the Lord stops him. And it says in 22, verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So God begins to show a promise. 
This promise is that all the nations would be blessed. This promise is that everyone would experience not a curse, but a blessing through the line of Abraham. And as you read through the rest of Genesis, this promise is going to be repeated. Isaac himself, when he becomes an adult, God is going to visit Isaac and say, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, is going to receive a visit from God, and the same thing is going to happen. He's, God is going to remind him, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And on and on, you can go through the Old Testament and find examples of God speaking to the people of Israel and reminding them that his blessing upon them is not for them alone, but it is for all people. And then in the prophets, he begins to unfold this even more. Looking at Jeremiah, turning to Jeremiah chapter 4, looking, starting in verse 2, or sorry, sorry, starting in verse 1, we'll back up one more. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove the detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, then all nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. So Jeremiah unfolds this a little bit more. He says that not only is the promise of blessing going to come through Abraham, but it's going to come through repentance. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is merely, or it has been explained, as you're walking one direction, doing one set of things, and then you come to a realization that that is the wrong way. And you turn, and you decide to go the other way. This is not something that comes naturally to humans. Ask any person that has been driving the wrong way who refuses to ask for directions. We walk one, we go one way, and we are committed that we are not wrong, right? It's like there's no, I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going, I'm going to continue this way. And the whole time the passenger is saying, uh, this is not right, this is not right. That's the third time we've passed that same house. This is not right. And yet we refuse, we keep going that same direction. Until eventually we are convinced of our error and we turn and we start going the right way and making the right turns. The same thing needs to happen to us. All of us, we've already talked about, have looked at God and said, I don't need you. I don't want you. And we start off our own direction doing our own thing. And the whole time God is putting warning signs in our life saying, this is not the right way. This is not the right thing. But we don't want to listen. And many of us will continue that way forever. But if we will listen, we will understand, then we will stop going that way and we will repent. We will turn around and start following him and going the right way and doing life the way he designed. And we will find that it will get us to a much better destination, to a much better thing. So Jeremiah says this blessing for all people that's to come through Abraham, it will come through repentance and then Isaiah, chapter 66, if you found Jeremiah 4, then you're not far from Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 unfolds that all of this is to happen ahead of him. All of this is going to happen, and it truly is going to be for all nations, for all people. Isaiah 66, we're going to start in verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, 
to Tarish, to Pul, to Lud, who draw the bow, and to Tabal and Javan, the coastlands far away. They have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship me before, shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Isaiah proclaims this amazing truth, looking ahead, that someday, someday in Isaiah's future, there will come a time when God will gather all the nations to worship. When God will gather all the nations together for blessing. And it won't matter what nationality, it won't matter what ethnicity, it won't matter what culture you come from, that you will come to Him. And so they waited. The Old Testament is all about waiting. They are looking forward to the new beginning. They're looking forward to the king to come. They are looking forward to the blessing that is to come through Abraham. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. Until one day, until one day an angel appears to a group of shepherds on a hillside. These men who are nothing special in their society, these men who have no reason to be the first to know that they have not earned anything, an angel appears and he proclaims a message. And that message is this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They had waited so long. And now the angels proclaim that night to the angels, the blessing has come. The answer to the curse has come and he is lying in a manger. Go celebrate. Go enjoy it. Of course, we know that this baby in the manger, this Jesus Christ would grow up and that he would live a perfect life, never once sinning, never once having an ill thought. He did everything perfectly, not deserving of the curse, not deserving of pain or frustration, not deserving of death. And yet he voluntarily looks at us and says, I will take their 
problems. I will take their consequences. And he lays down his life and dies on a cross. Glory to God, he raises three days later, having defeated death on our behalf. And now he offers blessing unlike anything we could have expected. Just as Adam's decision brings with it curse, so Jesus' sacrifice brings blessing. Instead of pain, it brings hope. Now, we as Christians understand that that doesn't mean that pain suddenly disappears and that we never experience that again. But we understand that now we experience pain differently, knowing that this is not all there is to life, knowing that this one day will be no more, that one day we will live in a new heaven and a new earth with our King, with our God, in a place where there are no tears, no more goodbyes, no more grief, no more pain. He brings hope. He brings fulfillment instead of frustration. No longer do we toil at this life only to experience failure and frustration, but now we invest our lives in Christ Jesus and we find that the fruit of that is multiplied by an unimaginable amount. In Him we can find fulfillment, unlike anything we experience in this life. Not only do we find fulfillment, we find life. Where in Adam we find death, in our decision to rebel, we find death. In Christ, we find life. We figure out when we trust, put our faith and trust in Him and we decide to follow Him, we find out that He actually knows what He's talking about. Like the person that tries to put together the furniture without reading the instructions and you realize, oh, the shiny bit did need to go up. Oh, it does matter where that screw goes. And and the whole time, someone else is standing beside you going, I told you to read the directions. In the same way, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we begin to obey Him and follow His instructions for life, what we find, what we find is that He knows what He's talking about, that the Creator of life actually knows how to live life best. And we experience satisfaction in that. We experience joy in that. It doesn't mean it's always easy but it means that it's blessed. It means that it's better. Not only do we experience greater life here, but we experience greater life for all of eternity. No longer are we under the curse that these bodies will die and that our souls will be separated from God forever. But instead, we see death now as a doorway to Him. We see death not as a bad thing. We see death as something that we must pass through in order to meet Him, to be united with Him forever. We look forward to that. And so we celebrate Christmas because He is the blessing that is promised to all who takes care of the curse that we all find ourselves under, that gives us hope and fulfillment and life. And for that, we cannot end the praise. We cannot end the joy. We cannot end the celebration. Not to be too corny, but may Christmas go on all year long. May we celebrate all year long the joy that He gives, the hope that He gives, the life that He gives. And here's the great thing, that the New Testament makes perfectly clear that just as all the, just as the Old Testament promises that a blessing will come and it will be for all nations, the New Testament makes it clear that this blessing is for all nations. People, 
all people. Turning back to Galatians, you may have forgotten about it by now. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, let me take a time out just for a second. Paul is not saying that we lose all of our distinction. He is not saying, as the world would like to say right now, that gender can disappear, that ethnicity can disappear. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is that when we stand before Jesus Christ and He has given us His righteousness, that we are all on the same boat. <laughs> we all were sinners who made mistakes and we can all experience righteousness through Him. That baptismal water is for everyone. This salvation is for everyone. That He has covered everyone. You'll remember back in Genesis, they rebelled, they have the curse, and Jesus and God kills another animal in their place so that he may cover their shame and guilt. In the same way, in a much greater way, Jesus Christ died and gave of his own life that his righteousness could cover you, that it could cover anyone who would trust him greater than any animal ever could any piece of clothing ever could he covers your guilt and your shame it is not this blessing is not not limited to the religious and we'll end with this his blessing is not limited to the religious in fact being religious is not going to be what saves you coming to church every sunday is not going to be what saves you it is putting your faith and trust in him to follow Him, to obey Him, to trust Him, that He knows what He's talking about. Paul says there is no Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter what religion you come from as long as you eventually find Him because He's the only way. It's not limited to certain people. He says there's no slave nor free. There is no Male or female, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter your gender, this blessing is for everyone. No one can stand and say, these are the only people who are special. These are the only people who are going to receive salvation. It doesn't matter your economic status, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. This blessing is for all people. For all people. This morning, this morning my question is, have you found it? Have you found that blessing? Do you know Him? This morning, can you say with a clear conscience, I, have, I know Jesus Christ. Just as Stephanie said this morning, I loved her testimony that she says, before Christ, I was living life for myself. And I didn't care who got in the way. I was going to do it my way. After Christ, I'm living for Him. I'm His servant. I follow what he wants to do. Is that your testimony this morning? If so, you have found blessing. And I pray that you would celebrate it. I pray that you would sing about it. I pray that you would tell other people about it. As we've been talking about sharing, God's intervention in our life is personal, but it's not meant to be private. We're meant to tell people what he has done. 
And Christmas is a great time to do that. At the same time, if you're sitting here and you, you can say, I've never done that. I've gone to church. I, I believe that there is a Jesus, there is a God, but I don't follow him. I do my own thing when I want to do it. and I don't really care what he says. I have, I have never taken time to even look to see what he says. This morning, know that even though you remain in a curse, as we've talked about, all of us have been at one time, that he extends to you blessing if you will receive it. If you will repent, if you will say, I know I'm headed the wrong direction and I need to head the right direction, then you will know blessing today. That you will know Christmas different today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of response. We believe here that when God speaks through his word, when he gives us a message, that it's not meant to go in one ear and out the other. It's not meant for us just to absorb and retain like we would retain something out of an encyclopedia, that it is meant for us to respond to and act to. Maybe this morning you know the blessing of God and then I would encourage you, sing with us, worship with us what God has done. It's an exciting thing. Pray this morning that if you're here and you have never known him, that this morning you would pray, God, forgive me for walking away from you. Forgive me for rebelling. I believe that you have died for my sins and I want to follow you. If you pray that this morning, I promise, I promise that you will know his blessing. And I pray that you'll come and let one of us know. You can come forward and talk to me and talk to me after the service, but you need to tell someone of what he has done in your life and what you've done and the decision you made. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for this baby that has come in a manger. We're thankful for the life that you lived. Lord, for the, the sacrifice that you made on the cross, for your victory and your resurrection, and for your, the extension of your goodness to us. Lord, that you saw us under the curse, and rightfully so, because of the rebellion that we had made, and that you desired to show us mercy. Lord, I pray that as we think about, Lord, the decisions we've made, Lord, that your grace and your blessing would be magnified in our eyes today. Lord, that we would desire for others to know it. Lord, I pray for the one here, Lord, that there is a weight on their, on their shoulders, on their chest this morning, they know that they have never made a decision for you. Father, that this morning that they would not wait or that they would make a decision right now to follow you, to allow you to change their lives for the better. Father, we pray. Do things only you can do. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.